and welcome to The Bookmonger. I'm John J. Miller of National Review. Thanks for listening. This show is a production of National Review, and we're recording from the studio WRFH, the campus radio station of Hillsdale College. Our guest is Anna Reed, author of A Nasty Little War, The Western Intervention into the Russian Civil War. Anna, welcome to The Bookmonger. Thank you very much for having me on. How and why did American soldiers, as well as troops from other Western countries, find themselves fighting in Russia a little more than a century ago? So how come did U.S. troops find themselves in quite large numbers in Russia in the middle of its civil war? Well, you have to backtrack a little to the Russian Revolution of 1917. So the war with Germany is still going on. That is the first priority for Russia's allies, France, Britain, America. And when the Bolsheviks take power in November of that year, the first thing they do is start peace talks with Germany. This absolutely appalls Russia's allies um, because it means the end of the Eastern Front and the transfer of lots of German divisions west. And also there's the prospect of allied military supplies, which had been going to the czarist armies and were now still sitting awaiting distribution in two ports in Vladivostok in the on the Pacific and in Archangel in the north. There's the pros- awful prospect of all these military supplies falling into German hands via the Bolsheviks. And so the first act of the Allies after the Bolshevik Revolution is to land small parties of Marines to take control in both those places. The, the longer term hope is that maybe by overthrowing the Bolsheviks, who everyone expects aren't going to last long anyway, this sort of small unknown group of, you know, sort of minor revolutionaries who nobody's ever heard of, including most Russians. And the, expect, the, the hope is that they'll be replaced by somebody else who'll then pull the Russian army together again and re-energize the Eastern Front. So during the Cold War, American presidents sometimes like to say the United States and Russia never had gone to war against each other, at least not in a hot war. But this isn't really true, is it? No, because what happens a few months after we've sent our initial landing parties, we've landed our initial parties in these Russian ports, uh, you know, Germany is beaten. We have the armistice in November of 1918. And with that, the original rationale for having anybody in Russia at all completely completely dissolves. There's no need to worry about the Eastern Front. There's no need to worry about these arms falling into German hands. So, But a new rationale emerges, which is it's, it's ideological. It's to prevent the spread of revolution. So in the period, there really are genuine fears of, of revolution at home. You've got a wave of industrial strikes. You've got trouble brewing um, for Britain, in Ireland, in India. And on the right, people see this as all one big connected sort of you know revolutionary conspiracy. Um, and, and the other thing which happens in Britain is that Churchill is get is taken back into the cabinet by Lloyd George and becomes cheerleader in chief for, for intervention for trying to overthrow the Bolsheviks. And in fact, what happens is the intervention actually expands. So you get these forces in the north are withdrawn in summer of 1919. But a new forces are sent to the south, to Denikin, to the white general, the very conservative white general in charge of the Russian, you know, the anti-Bolshevik Russian 
government there. And we supply his volunteer army and his associated Cossack armies with trainers, with arms, with uniforms, with food, et cetera, et cetera. So, Anna, what was the result of all this? We have this large Western intervention into the Russian Civil War. What happened? Well, as we all know, it was a it was a hopeless failure. <laughs> you know, Lenin and Trotsky stay in power, and the white armies that we're supporting collapse one by one, and lots of parties of um, British officers um, and Americans are caught up in these great retreats down the railway lines, and we and the white Russian armies embark on on troop ships and sail away, leaving behind crowds of hysterical sort of refugees, quayside. And as a result, because it's such a humiliating failure, it's all rather swept under the carpet afterwards. You know, there's no official uh, sort of campaign histories are published, no campaign medals issued, and all the politicians and the generals involved distance themselves. So everybody's forgotten about this, maybe deliberately. Are there warnings from this period, lessons about intervention? Should we think about this as a forerunner to Vietnam, Afghanistan, et cetera? You, you definitely can see it as a, a sort of prototype for, for later, att- you know, sort of failed attempts at sort of liberal intervention into, into civil wars. So when I was writing it, the, you know, the American flight from Kabul happened. Uh, American abandonment of Kabul happened. And you're watching the scenes of Afghans sort of trying to sort of hang on to the tails of, you know, sort of departing American aeroplanes reminded you, you know, it was was exactly reminiscent of the descriptions of people trying to sort of swim out to the troop ships in Novorossiysk and Odessa. Uh, And, and, you know, sort of chaos and panic amongst, you know, these crowds of civilian refugees. You know, interviewed late late in life, American veterans often compared it to, to to Vietnam. They saw it as a complete, you know, sort of misbegotten uh, venture and as a waste of money and lives. British British memoirs are, are slightly different. They tend they tended to take the sort of jolly japes route to sort of minimise the failure. It was all a bit of a picnic, you know, nothing compared to the sort of the real war. You know, there's sort a of trench warfare in France. Uh, or sort of quite a sort of light-hearted venture that we didn't care care much about. Um, when you contrast that with the diaries, and at the, at the time, a lot of the people they did care. They were ideologically committed, and they found that they found the collapse, of the whole thing, extremely painful, and they felt ashamed at you know having betrayed Russian Russian friends and colleagues. This is a message from our friends at American Habits from the State Policy Network. We the people. Do you ever think about what that means and what happened to it? We the people certainly did not mean an imperial city full of unelected bureaucrats deciding everything from kindergarten curricula to nursing home funding formulas. We the people mean self-government, a free people deciding most things in their families and communities and delegating some authority to their towns and states while passing along just a small amount of that power to the national government. How did things get so upside down at American Habits? We tell stories of real people with real solutions, all working to restore federalism and self-government. If you're a public official, come get involved. If you're a citizen, come and see the new standard for American leadership. No matter who you are, come help us renew the forgotten but not lost habit of American self-government. Visit AmericanHabits.org to learn more. That's AmericanHabits.org. American soldiers found themselves in the freezing north. 
a lot of other Western troops war in the South. They're in the area of the Ukraine, where, of course, there's a war right now between Russia and Ukraine. When we look back more than a century into this Western intervention into the Russian Civil War, are there any lessons there for questions about Western involvement and intervention in Ukraine right now? What I really want to stress is that because the intervention into the Russian Civil War in support of the Whites back in 1918 to 1919 failed, does not mean that our support for the Ukrainian government now is doomed to failure. The Ukrainian-Russian war is not a civil war. The Ukrainians could not be more unlike the Whites. You know, the Whites were hopeless. You know, they, they would have they would have failed even if we'd given them much more help. You know, they had no political program. They were deeply unpopular. Um, most fatally of all, they absolutely could not acknowledge the aspirations of the non-Russian nationalities of the old empire. And had, had they cooperated with the Finns, with the Ukrainians, with the Georgians, they might well have won. They might well have overthrown, um, you know, this, this sort of at the time, still fragile, you know, to start with Bolshevik regime, but they they couldn't even they couldn't even consider it. You know, they couldn't comprehend it. And you look at the white memoirs, and there's this sort of sense of sort of insult and sort of disgust and sort of amazement comes off them. And you know, the very thought of an Estonian government or a or sort of Azerbaijani government, they can't even can't even sort of contemplate such a thing. The, the true inheritor of white ideology is, of course, Putin. You know, with his ultranationalism with his, you know, denial that, you know, such a thing as a separate uh, sort of nation of Ukrainians even exists. And he will fail for the same reasons the Whites did, because he's out of touch, because he's grotesquely corrupt, and because he's, you know, his promise of Russian greatness is hollow, that, 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 that's, that, that there are no policies behind it. And the West's role today needs to be to keep on supporting Ukraine until Putin falls. And, you know, I hope and pray that America continues to lead the way in doing exactly that. The author is Anna Reid. The book is A Nasty Little War, The Western Intervention into the Russian Civil War. Anna, thanks for joining us on The Bookmonger. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to leave a review. Your reviews help new listeners discover us, and that helps us keep this show going. We'll be back next week with an episode of The Bookmonger.